Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And now, from beyond our dimension... This is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Betsy Chassie, mom, best-selling author, and award-winning filmmaker. She is best known as the co-writer, director, and producer of the hit film, What the Bleep Do We Know? She is currently in production on The Galileo Project and Killing Buddha, the series, which we will talk about and more. Betsy, thank you so much for being my guest and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Just a small mouthful. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get involved in combining science and spirituality and being a part of this, you know, genre, which you really weren't in in the first place? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a funny story. It's long, but, you know, I've come to learn that we don't, nothing ever happens by accident. Um, And my birth was filmed for a documentary on natural childbirth. And, you know, through a series of, of wacky events, I found myself um, working with Mark and Will on a movie they had called Sacred Science. And I had I didn't know anything. I, the joke is I was the least. How did the least spiritual person on the planet get hired to make what became one of the most successful spiritual movies of all time? But I think that I think it was perfect. You know, Will, Mark and I each came at the concepts that we were talking about in the bleep from different places. And I think that's why the film had such a great appeal was because it's a multidimensional film. You can watch it from any level of understanding and, and really get something from it. And so my purpose on that film, the, the, you know, the name, what the bleep do we know came from me always saying, what the bleep do I know? Because I was always feeling like, what, why are we talking about the Planck scale and why, what is the double slit and why does it matter to me? And, you know, here I am interviewing scientists and quantum physicists and somehow or another, I think throughout my whole life, I've always had this ability to kind of grok those concepts and then regurgitate them in a way that's more accessible for us every day you know, people. I believe you have at least 90 hours of interviews with these scientists and physicists, like you said, and even these modern thinkers. You must have had some profound changes in your life after talking to all these people. So how did you change? Well, for one thing, my entire worldview changed. I think, you know, we we live in a world right now that is, you know, predominantly materialist, right? Very much mathematical, logical, if I can't see it, touch it, smell it, measure it, it's not real, right? And so I was raised, I think, already with my parents, especially my dad, to understand that maybe it wasn't always that way, that there was a little more. And so, you know, but still, you live in this world where you're told this is how it is, this is how it is. And when you spend enough time with enough people that are doing the actual research and science to show you, well, not exactly how that is and when you hear just basic quantum physics like you know here's the thing we think of matter as solid right we think if we knock on a door we're gonna knock it's a 
it's a wood. It's kind of, you know, it's got mass and volume. It doesn't. It's mostly empty space, right? We never touch actually anything. When those, when those little things, you start to hear that stuff, it just begins to expand your worldview and your paradigm about, well, okay, there's more to this reality than what I'm seeing. And then you start to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and you understand how the brain works and filters work. And then you go, wow, I don't know anything. And when you come at the world from a beginner's mind, all of the anomalies, all of the weird, wacky world of quantum or the weird, wacky world of spirituality or, you know, paranormal ghosts, all that stuff becomes more accessible because you're more open to it. So I think that's the biggest thing for me was that I just opened up my mind to like, hey, anything is possible and I'm willing to see it. Where are you on your own spiritual journey personally? That's a huge question. Uh, I'm half a mile down the road, probably. I mean, I've been doing this for like 20 something years now. And I think we all go through these cycles. You know, I I write a lot about this. A lot of what I do is funny and and sort of ironic. But, you know, the minute somebody starts, everybody asks me, you know, how did you end up on the spiritual path? And I always say I popped out of a vagina, you know, because this is, to me, this is the plane of experience. You know, if if you're people, you know, my son's a gamer, right? He loves games, right? So it's always about the level. What level are you on? Or what room are you in? Or what world are you playing in, right? It's just... It's just the same thing. I just interviewed a, a really amazing quantum physicist named Thomas Campbell, who you know talks about the theory that this is a hologram, and that this is just one level, right? So, where am I on that spiritual journey? I don't have a compass to figure it out. You know, I feel so much more at peace in my life than I probably did 25 years ago. I have a way better sort of understanding of how I work and how my brain works and how I process emotion. You know, I'm, I, I'm able to do things that some people might call, you know, superpowers, you know, I have a much better uh, connection to my psychic abilities to things like that, but you know, I'm not levitating. So there's, you know, and I still have to like drive a car to get places. So there's that. Did you ever have any event in your life that you would consider to be like a spiritual awakening or some type of dark night of the soul? All of the above. I mean, we everybody's going to go through the dark night of the soul multiple times. It's not a one-time thing. You know, I, I've come to the acceptance that, you know, we're on a journey here and we, we're here. It's like people always want to be like bliss bunnies. I call them purpose intent, always happy and floating around in the little thing. Oh, the universe is magic. And I call that spiritual bypassing and denial because we can't really, what we're here learning is the sort of, the sort of stretchiness and the extensiveness of, of experience in that you can feel super high and you can feel super low, but if you didn't have the low, you wouldn't have the high. It's like, you can't have the dark, without the light that's where there's the yin and the yang and i think that's really the wisdom we're supposed to get here is like how do i how do i surf the wave that is life um so i wouldn't say i've had one magical moment i've had tons of amazing spiritual highs and tons of bring me to my knees lows and that's kind of the part of life do you think that a person has to be special to be spiritual no i think we're all spiritual and we're all special so there is no difference, you know, yeah. whether, whether you get it, that you're spiritual or not spiritual. I find ironically, the first, when someone comes to me and begins to express how spiritual they are, I genuinely think they're, you know, new souls or they're on this journey for the first time because uh, I don't, I look at every single person that I meet as a spiritual person. I guess you we're can, all spiritual beings. And I guess you could say that everything we do could be viewed from a spiritual viewpoint. Everything that we do can be viewed from a spiritual viewpoint. You have to be very careful with that. Like one of the, my big bones of contention, like with the new age, new thought movement, especially the modern one, is that there's a lot of um, sort of, it, it, I heard it today, toxic individuality toxic individualism which i think is one of the things we're really experiencing right now um and 
I also think that people tend to use the notion, like a big one for me is like, if I'm a jerk to you and you, I cause, and you hurt, a lot of people go, well, that's your experience. And I think that we have to be careful. And I, I meet people that are new and they go, well, you know, your feelings are all on you. And to a degree, 100%, that's actually true, right? Like legit, I get to choose how I feel. But, th- but what t- sometimes happens with the lack of depth and understanding uh, with these concepts is that we get to start being jerks and going, well, you know, that's their feelings. I'm, I'm who I am. I'm speaking my truth, all of that stuff, right? One of the things that I think is important if you're going to really do the work, so I don't say if you're going to be spiritual, I say if you're going to actually do the work. Is like I, I tend to go back and try to read the old works and the old texts because there's depth to it. You know, now we live in a world where it's social media and it's 140 characters or a little meme that has some pithy quote, you know, and we lose all the depth and meaning of what they were really trying to say, you know. And so for me, I'm, I'm that's why I do the work that I do. That's why I interview people and spend, you know, get 90 hours of interview footage because that's the depth, you know, that's the, the whole story. Possibly even spirituality now is kind of becoming like fast food. You just see if you can go take a weekend course and uh, now you're a spiritual master. Yeah, they call, I call that the McDonaldization of spiritual spirituality. And absolutely. And, you know, to some degree, Bleep was partly responsible for that. I, it was an unintentional consequence, I would say. You know, we, we set out to make a movie to, to sort of, you know, share and explore some of these concepts. And well, of course, our intention was for it to be successful. I don't think we intended conferences and quantum watches and quantum healing and all this stuff to come from it. And then, of course, there's the secret, you know, which I think really did, you know, it's great, but it also did a disservice because it oversimplified like the law of attraction and all these things. You know, it was meditate and magically a Mercedes will pop out of your ass. You know, mm-hmm. I just did an interview with Dean Radin the other day uh, for my new series. And he was, we were talking about manifestation and intention and the law of attraction. He's like, look, it's, it's 99.9% that a Mercedes is not going to manifest magically out of thin air. You know, it's just like, it's very rare. Even Amikaswamy, you know, an old, very, I call him one of my favorite, my, my favorite quantum physicists. You know, he says it's, it's like when we talk about the moving of matter, most people aren't skilled enough because there's so much going on. There's so many filters. It takes a ton of work to, to rehone those skills again. You know, mm-hmm. we were talking before the break, before we started about, you know, teaching little kids and my friend Ellie, who, who recommended me to, you know, she teaches little kids. She doesn't actually, I would, maybe she just says teaches. She helps little children remember their abilities they already have, mm-hmm. you know, but most of us, it's, we're so like deep in the muck of this reality, you know, connecting into your psychic abilities is not easy to do. It's interesting that you bring that up because a lot of my interviews are with near death experiencers. And a lot of mm. these people after their experience have these psychic abilities. Yeah. And I feel like we all have them. It just sometimes takes a shock to the nervous system to turn them back on. It's like a computer reset. Right. Yeah. It's like a reboot. It's like we yeah. unplugged and we plugged it back in again. Right. And we're like, right. oh, wow, I have all this stuff I didn't like it all I didn't realize. Right. So yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I interview a lot of people for this new series around near death. I just interviewed a really amazing neuroscientist. I mean, like my goal is with all the work that I do is to say to show the sort of anom- anomaly or the wacky wow and then to take a bigger step back and go this is not so weird here's the science that shows how this works here's neuroscientists and i'm lucky enough you know one of the things i will say about the bleep is it did bring these conversations into the forefront and you know it when the bleep first came out there was a lot of talk about how it was all wackadoodle and junk and junk science and now most of that science is pretty commonly considered to be you know, foundationally true, took a few years, right? You know, I'm hoping to move the needle with science. 
because it because I think when this becomes instead of having it be something that's shunned or we call our my new series the Galileo Project because you mm -hmm. know Galileo spent eight years of his life in a dungeon because he had the audacity to say the Earth was not the center of the universe. Right now we all, duh. Now we know that, right? Until we don't know that, by the way. But you know, um, but currently <laughs> that's the current worldview, right? And it, it it's legit. I mean, it's scientifically for now. It's it's panning out, right? Um, but you know, when we can start and stop. We can't evolve as a species if we continually push these conversations over to the fringe as being wackadoodle. You know, science evolves, Max Planck said, science evolves one funeral at a time. You know, so I, I, I hope I'm not trying to cause more funerals, but I am trying to say, you know, if there's enough scientific research that shows that humans have psychic abilities, this isn't weird anymore. So let's really do research around it. Let's really put our money behind it. You know, let's take it out of the secret government labs where it's always been, continues to be. And, you know, there's tons of research going on that, you know, would blow people's minds. Right. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's bring it out in the open. After the bleep came out, I would assume there's been some scientific pushback against it. Right. Oh, there's tons. Would you say that this new series, The Galileo Project, is kind of like a response to that pushback? I wouldn't say it's a response. Um, or maybe inspired by it? I would say it? it's certainly inspired by it. I think it's it's more just um, a continuing of the conversation. You know, because I – like there are some things we legitimately got wrong in the bleep. You know, there are things that we're like, hmm, okay, maybe that didn't – wasn't exactly what the science was saying not much but to a degree and so i'm always interested in looking at well what does the science say now and how can we again I, for me the galileo project really came up when i started looking at what's going on in the world and the divis the divisiveness right it's, it's an us or them world right now and i have friends on all sides in a way you know, I have friends that are massive anti-vaxxers. I have friends that are hardcore, you know, vaxxers, right? All this stuff. And I thought, and so and so often, all of them are perpetuating misinformation, right? We're getting crappy statistics and memes off of social media and we're running with it, right? Because we don't, you know, we think that's, we know we're talking about. So I decided to step back. Um, well, I made the bleep 20 years ago. Uh -huh. I decided to step back and go, what can I do now that would help bring about new wisdom and information and knowledge? Because knowledge is power that would help people get back to discernment and to help people on, on all world spaces go, wow, we need to really ground this back in facts again. We really need to go back to the basics. And while we go, while we're grounding in facts and going back to the basics, we need to expand that to go again, material materialism versus post-materialism. It's like, you know, there's a pushback against science right now. And part of the reason is because science is dogma, dogmatic. Scientists are just as dogmatic as religion is. Yeah. So that's kind of my purpose is to go, Hey, you know what? It's time to expand in every direction so that we can have a better understanding of what we're doing here and, and how to work in this world. Obviously, these new thought leaders are not being put in jail, at least that I know of. No. But who are some of these people that you're having on your series that we should know about? Gosh, I'll give you some names. But I want to give it all away. But like, you know, I interviewed a scientist named Marjorie Woolacott, for instance. She's a neuroscientist. I believe she was the dean of neuroscience at the University of Arizona, uh, Oregon, right? I've interviewed in my new the series that just launched on YouTube. It's called Energy: The Ultimate Healer. I interviewed an amazing woman named Dr. Ann Baldwin, who was a, a tenured professor at the University of Arizona, right? But these people will all tell you. I mean, Ann has a great story, but they'll all tell you that you know the, Ann is a legitimate physiologist radiology like she was she was on the team that was studying alternative sources to blood when the aids pandemic happened right oh, she was wow. full-blown hardcore scientist right 
she had an experience. I'll tell you her story because it's so brilliant. She was in this lab and it was in a different building and it was a new building. So there weren't many people there. So she was doing her experiments on a rat. They needed to move her to another building. So they took her and her rats and they moved them into this new building, which had lots of people and it was full and all this stuff was going on. And her rats were freaking out, right? And she couldn't do her studies on the rats because they were having all sorts of anxiety and stress and it would mess with her controls and you know, all that stuff. She was trying to figure out what to do. And she had this, I, I think, I mean, I'm going to tell this, I think the way I remember her telling it, but she had someone who was just doing data entry for her. And this woman said to her, we should do Reiki on the rats. And Dr. Anne is like, what, what are you talking about Reiki on rats? What is even Reiki? And she's like, well, blah, blah, blah. she explained what Reiki was, energy healing, blah, blah. And the, if at first the Anne was just kind of like, I'm not dead, that's crazy, right? <laughs> A few days later, she can't do her studies. She's like, all right, I give up. Let's do the Reiki on the rats. Like sort of as like almost like a little bit of an aside. The woman does the Reiki on the rats and the rats come in the next, she comes in the next day the rats are fine. It blew this woman's mind, right? So she decides to go and she gets one of the, I think the only condoned funded study from the National Institute of Health at that time on Reiki, the only one. She does her study statistics are off the charts NIH won't let her publish wow right now all of a sudden the stop funding no no research why right well what why can't we talk about this stuff so that's very common and and scientists and researchers run the risk of losing their tenure being sham, sham. so they they're not put in a dungeon but they're put in a metaphorical dungeon for sure you know, look at some of these scientists. Some of these people are even put in jail. You know, they're run out of the country. The United States is so restrictive. Uh, most of Europe and other, even in Eastern Europe, they're a little more open-minded about some of this stuff. But the big issue is that if Reiki and energy healing work in the U.S. model, it's very hard to monetize that. Yeah. Right. It's very hard to get you to, you know, and part of the mistake in my mind with the alternative energy healers and those people, see everybody I interviewed for the series works with, they're very high level people. They work in conjunction with Western medicine. Right. But the problem with the, the alt people is they want to, Western medicine is bad and it's evil and they want to put a knife in it. And big medicine is once put in, right? So we're doing this over and over again. And that's why we're never getting anywhere. But what happens when we work together? So for instance, Reiki is now available in I think a thousand hospitals in the United States, right? I interviewed a doctor named Bernie Siegel. Mm -hmm. He's, a, I call him the original gangster in the space, a cancer doctor from way back in the seventies. They used to call him crazy. They would call him Crazy Dr. Siegel. He was on the New York Magazine, the controversial doctor, cancer doctor of love, right? He, they called him insane. His patients would do visualizations. They would draw. They would dream. They would do different things. To while, And sometimes he would say, okay, you're going to do chemotherapy. And sometimes he'd go, you're, you, you've got a lot of fear because he really understood how emotions work in the body. This is 70s. Now you go into any cancer medicine or cancer um, center in the United States, visualization, meditation, art therapy, Reiki, they're all there, right? So it, it, the issue here is it, we know all this stuff works. And if you've got the money, you can pay for it. But what, we're, what I'm trying to do is say, look, everybody should just know how this works because then we can, and, and we can work together because I had two babies via C-section. I got to tell you, it's highly unlikely that energy healing or love was going to help those babies come out of my body, right? So I am very grateful to Western medicine. They helped save my baby's life. But what? But the but if if there's a way, for instance, Reiki or energy healing while a C-section is going on, what is the impact of that? How does that benefit the patient? You know, hmm. that's my rant, Jeff. I liked <laughs> it. You could keep on ranting. 
Yeah. Um, I'm getting more excited about this series. Is it out yet? And if not, when it, will it be and where can we watch it? So the energy of the ultimate healer is on YouTube right now. You go to Bliss Up Now and you can watch that. And I, that is really focused on energy healing. Um, and what I did with that series, again, was I wanted to take away the taboo of what energy healing is. Because I'm also very cognizant that there's a lot of people out in the world that will call themselves an energy healer. And they're not. They're not energy healers. You know, first of all, we can all be energy healers. A good energy healer will never tell you to stop seeing your doctor unless you and your, the doctor is really causing you harm. But that's very rare. A good energy healer will never tell you they're healing you because they're not. And so energy, the ultimate healer, really starts at the foundation of what is energy and how does it work. And then it takes you on a journey. We follow four different energy healers doing work. It takes you on a very intimate journey with those people, as well as a scientific journey to understand how energy healing works. And the, the, the you know, to give you to give it away at the end, our body is constantly regenerating all of the time. What's happening is everything is frequency, right? Everything, everything has a frequency. Your body has a frequency, and there is a frequency of ease of like a perfect harmonic frequency, right? Most of the time you get out of harmonic frequency because of stress, anxiety, emotional distress, abuse, trauma, all these things, right? That starts from a very early age cause you to begin to keep your body out of harmonic alignment. What energy healing does is it, with an energy healer or on your own, you are trained to get it back into the frequency. And one of the things they think it is, is the Schumann resonance of the earth. So the earth has a frequency that it's constantly emitting. And when you get into that frequency, your body has the time to heal itself. And that's what's happening. Now, some energy healers will say, okay, I'm going to work on your neck or we're going to focus on your neck. That's very possible. We had a um, clients in our, in our series that a woman had a very um, horrible accident was basically bedridden and now she can walk right so you can be specific but oftentimes energy healing simply works because the body knows what it needs to do so we just really we talk about it from the emotional and experiential level in the series but we also give you the science of how it works which is very legitimate have you had any experience in energy healing yourself and if so what were your results like so i'm going to tell you one of the things that's really cool is when technology and <clears throat> ancient healing modalities come together, you know, it can be amazing. And it, and this is the one of the things that frustrates me about our current system within the U.S. So Dr. Ann Baldwin is now a Reiki master, and she actually teaches and has written books to teach medical professionals Reiki. So she teaches doctors and physicians, everything. Um, she... So when you, if you ever look at their little hands, we are actually, not just from our fingers, but we are actually emitting protons and electrons from our bodies, right? That's how we interact. That's how you can feel people, energy. When you say, I feel someone, that person feels weird. You're feeling their, their stuff, right? That's not woo-woo, that's science. So everybody has, the woo-woo likes to call it an aura. The scientific community calls it a biofield. Okay, so it's the same thing, right? But we have, they want to have cool science language. So we all have this biofield around us. This is not weird. Every, go to any scientist and they'll tell you, yeah, you have a biofield. So we're shooting these electrons. So she has a machine where you, each one of your fingers is actually attached to a meridian in your body. This is ancient Chinese medicine and it's legitimate. Even Western medicine doesn't want to say meridians, but a lot of time doctors are working in the same meridian, same scope of, well, if this is wrong, this is wrong. They just don't call it Chinese medicine. So each one of your fingers is attached to a meridian. So you put your fingers in this little box and then it, it takes a picture of, it, your, of your photons <clears throat> that are emitting. And then it calculates and it puts it as an, it, it shows your biofield. So at the time that she did this with me, I was having some thyroid issues. So, and we show this before and after in the series. So at the first time she looked at it, literally the whole biofield is not supposed to have any breaks in it. My biofield had a break right at my thyroid. 
And I didn't tell her anything about my thyroid. It, mm. it just happened to be right there. And I was like, and then I said, that is, she said, oh, you, she goes, you might be having a thyroid issue. And I was like, oh my God, I'm totally having a thyroid issue. That's crazy. And she says, all right, well, let's see what we can do. And she did just 10 minutes of Reiki just on my thyroid. And we went back, we did the measurement again. The break was gone. Cool. And I had gone to my doctor and done some measurements. In addition to her doing the Reiki, I also started because they wanted to put me on that really hardcore thyroid medicine. And I was like, okay, give me 30 days before I go on that. In that 30 days between her session and I also went to my Chinese herbalist, I don't have to take that medicine. You know, but you tell that to a doctor and they're like, oh, it must have been a mistake. There must have been a reading on the first test. Why can't we just say, you know what? I It was my Reiki master and my herbalist. Yeah. Plus the uh, pharmaceutical companies can't make any money off Chinese herbs. You know, it's it's true. They could. Um, I could. I, I, there's something I could say about that. I'm just not going to get in trouble with everybody. But, you know, I think what's important here to take away from this piece of the conversation is that it's time for us to stop dividing it between the big, bad, evil pharmaceutical companies and these uh, or big, bad, alt, bad, alt health, wacky, wacky, because there's wackadoodles and jerks in, in either corner. It's time for rational people to step up and go, how do we bring it together and incorporate it? How do we, because there's some really great medicines out there that save lives. And there's some really great alternative modalities out there that save lives. And it's t and any legitimate healer or scientist that I've spoken to, that's their agenda is to go, we need to start working together. Hmm. And when we do that, we're going to radically shift how the whole we interact in this whole world. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think it's a it could be a tough battle, though, just trying to get there. Well, you know, I think everybody so fundamentalist on any subject or evangelicals, you know, strong opinions in one direction tend to make you very closed minded. So you have, you get too caught up in the need to know and the need to be right. I'm, you know, earlier I said, what we know right now is the center is not, you know, the earth is not the center of the universe, right? If you interview any legitimate scientist, astronomer, quantum physicist, you know, even Einstein, you know, they know what they know right now, but they're always willing to go, it could change. We could learn yeah. something new. But when we operate from the place of this is it, nothing's going to change, there's no evolution in that. And that's typically where fundamentalists on either side come from. So those people aren't moving the needle. So you have to get more people to go, okay, I know what I know, or I know what I believe. And that doesn't mean it's truth or fact. Here's what we know right now. Right. Well, I think it's great that you're, you know, you're putting out this series and as well as what the bleep and all the other stuff you do, because you're making the general public more aware of what else is out there. Yeah. Well, that's what we have to know. I mean, how are we all going to attack? Like one of the things in energy healing in the series, I wanted to show everyday people having the experience, right? And in the Galileo project, in every episode, like we just did this really cool thing where we're following three babies who have health issues and they're not life-threatening health issues, so don't worry, but you know, they're little health issues. One of them was we went with the family who's their babies were having trouble sleeping and it wasn't like the typical, my baby doesn't sleep. It was really a problem. You know, like they would go a whole day or night without sleeping for, you know, it was a real problem. So I brought in an energy healer to teach the parents how to do energy healing on their babies. And so we, we, go, we went and we filmed, we bring this film crew and the kids are just woo all over the map and the little one that is like touching the camera. It was chaos. And I thought, oh, my God, how are we going to settle this down and get this? The mom, the, the dad was like, I'll watch the kids in the playroom. And the mom was learning how to do the technique. Right. The house, you could hear from the playrooms, kids screaming and crying and chaos. And all of a sudden, in the, within five minutes of the energy healer teaching the mom. Silence. It's like dead silence. And we walk into the playroom and the little two year old is crashed out on the couch. 
and the baby's asleep in the crib. And the dad's like, they just both just stopped. And the mom literally almost burst into tears. And she's been doing a log and filming herself doing the sessions for like the last 10 days. Babies sleep through the night and they take a two or three hour nap every day. And this has radically changed her life and her well-being. And she did it. Nobody else did it. She, we empowered her to go, you can do this. And that's the cool thing about the energy healing series and Galileo is that in every episode, we want people to know you, this is something that's possible for you. That's great. Even though you're known for what the bleep, you're also an accomplished author. And I think you've written about nine books. So what do you like doing more, writing or filmmaking? It's so hard to tell. I love them both with every ounce of my being. And, and um, writing is more um, solitary and intuitive and um, intimate. It's just usually me by myself. Um, it's quiet. Filmmaking is chaotic and kinetic and out in the world. Like I just got back from, you know, running around the East coast for, you know, five different locations in three different States in four days, you know, it's craziness. Right. Um, so there's a diff, it's, it, you know, there's really a difference in, in each experience. So I spent five years, I was, a, I'm a single mom and I have two kids and I, I, I mean, single in that, like their dad just doesn't really show up in their world. So writing was great when they were younger because I didn't have to, but now they're teenagers and they're like, whatever, leave us alone. You know, where's the food? And can I buy, go to the movies? So it gives me more freedom to do that. So you have your new book. Well, I guess it's kind of new. It came out last year, right? Uh, Killing yeah. Buddha. Yeah. So killing uh -huh. that title, Killing Buddha. How did you come up with that? It's from a very beautiful Zen cone. If you meet the Buddha along the road, kill him or you'll follow him the rest of your life. And that goes right to the conversation about fundamentalism. You know, we have this tendency to find something and put it on a pedestal and make it our idol and worship it every day. And that's great for a while, but it, eventually it stops serving us, right? So then we're no longer evolving and we're no longer learning. We're just, you know, the, the, the story, this cone goes along to say, kill your mother, kill your father, kill the Buddha. You have to take the wisdom and walk on. And so that is... Um, that is where I got that title from. And that's kind of the story is a fictional novel. It's kind of a little bit of a memoir, but more of, I've done it in a, as a fictional novel, taking me from what happened, like a generalized kind of like what happened when we ended up making what the bleep. Right. I figure this is like a, a prequel to your life yeah, before that. Exactly. And then I have a book tipping sacred cows, um, which came out, which really, if I was going to do it would, would be the after the bleep. What's the next book coming out? Well, I haven't written it yet, but the next book I intend to write is going to be called Fifty Shades of What the Fuck. Because <laughs> um, I'm in my 50s now. Yeah. And uh, so I figured I'll probably do that close to my 60s, give myself some time in the 50s before I, you know, finish that up. Yeah. That's that. I think it's a great idea. Thank uh, you. I had something and then you got me on the Fifty Shades and I forgot my question. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know where to go next. I, 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 you know, I, my friends always say to me that if everything else fails in my career, I'm good at coming up with titles. Yeah. So yeah. I figure I'll, I can always fall back on that. I agree. You've listened to all these people and you've got to have some of your own opinions on different stuff. For example, what is your definition of consciousness? Oh God, I've been asking every scientist on the planet that, mm. um, from a materialist perspective, we don't know. Materialist, materialists will tell you for the most part that consciousness is a byproduct of the brain. That people that have near-death experiences typically are um, having some sort of like loose, uh, hallucinogenic dream. But I'm going to tell you a story that completely shifted that for me personally in that I am of the belief not because science has said this yet, even though there's a lot of scientists that do, that consciousness is a sort of an essence that we all come from and that we're all connected to and that we can tap into and that we're a part of. We are, a, there's an ancient story of 
some uh, consciousness had a dream. What would it be like to experience this? And then the big bang happened and we're all little souls of particles experiencing life and bringing it back to consciousness. I was at a friend's house and I got to say, I've always been a skeptic. I'm a natural skeptic, um, which is, I think why what I do, people resonate with what I do because I don't come at it from this place of like just doe eyed, you know, beautiful. Oh, this is perfect. I I'm curious. And I really want to understand. And I had recently gotten into lucid dreaming and <clears throat> I started it as a single mom and wanting to check on my kids at night. And, um, a really good friend of mine is into it. And she said, you should do this. Cause then you could just get out of bed and check on your kids. I was like, I can't do that. That's not possible. She taught me how to do it. And so I, I did it. I started doing it and I hadn't done it for a few years. And I went to stay with a friend and it was after the pandemic. And I hadn't been away from my kids in a few couple of years. Cause we were all you know, my, literally with my kids all the time for like a, you know, a year and a half. Right. Um, so I went to my friend's house and I was going to bed and I thought, gosh, I want to check on my kids. And one of the things that I did in my lucid dreaming was like, there's, if your brain gets in the way of like, how do I travel? So I built myself an airport. Sorry, my doggy is barking. Right. So I built myself an airport in my dream. And so I go to my airport and I'm going to visit my kids and I'm come back from visiting my kids, checking on them. And I'm in my airport and I hear somebody screaming, Betsy. Betsy. And I'm like, that's weird. People, you know, nobody usually is in my airport. It's just me. What's going on? And I hear this. And my friend, I sit up. My friend is like, is everything okay? And then I hear again, Betsy, Betsy. And my friend says, wow, there's somebody outside screaming your name. Hmm. And I was like, it's outside. I'm awake. He's like, yeah, you're awake. Betsy. And I was like, oh, and he looks out the window and he's like, wow, the homeless guy that lives on the corner of my street is screaming your name. And I was like, is he schizophrenic? Do you think he's, he's, and he's like, oh yeah, he's totally nuts. I'm like, oh no, he's not nuts. I have to go. And I laid back down because I realized that, you know, a lot of people will say schizophrenics are crazy, nutty people. They're just seeing other realities. And somehow or another in my airport, I crossed his path. And he could see me and then I disappeared and I must've had some interaction with him that I didn't remember. So I went back to sleep. I woke up the next day. He was like baffled. We went to breakfast. The homeless guy walks up. We're sitting outside. He's like, Hey Betsy, how are you? And it was at that moment that I knew like, you know, all this story about this is real and dreams are, and all that stuff's just crazy psychosis. I'm like, Nope. There is something much bigger going on. That was like, for me, the experience that solidified that consciousness isn't some byproduct of the brain. It isn't an accident. And it it plays a massive role in who and what we are and why we're doing what we're doing. That's an amazing story. I'm not sure if you're lucid dreaming or having an out-of-body experience. Well, it could be both. Yeah. There are a little bit of both. But I do it through lucid. I enter in through dream state. So do you, you tip, do, you, you do when you go to bed, are you already like thinking that I'm going to travel before you go to bed? Yeah. Um, so you set an intention. Yeah. You set an, you set an intention. I mean, you can go there or, you know, Kelly Sullivan Walden, I'm actually going to her lucid dreaming event on Sunday night. Um, she, you know, they, they'll take you through guided meditations to help you. You can do it yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I set an intent. I don't just, I try, I mean, I'm not, there are days where I'm like, forget it, I'm going to bed. But I try not to do anything unintentionally anymore because there's already, there's also science that tells you that intention, your intention impacts the field, mm. right? Yeah. It's not always going to be perfect because somebody else has an intention and there's a lot of competing intention. But I will not try to go to lay down to go to sleep consciously with a like, okay, what am I working on? What do I want to know? What is it that I'd like to understand and become aware of or have some wisdom on, you know, and or, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to my airport and see my kids. That's cool. When I first started this podcast, I was kind of on the thought that, OK, an out of body experience is your consciousness leaving your body. And it was like a dual system, like, you know, your conscious is separate from your body. But as I talk to more people, I think along the lines of is your body is a manifestation of your consciousness in this 
realm. Where are you at on that? Yeah. Well, think of it like this. Everything is consciousness. So it's not that like my body is separate from my soul and my body is separate from consciousness. It's a part of it. So I have the ability just sitting here to tap into another. We have to think our brains are forcing us to think in linear terms, right? So if I want to go over there, that's why I had to build the airport. I had to like create a way to go because that's what my brain needed. I know friends who just close their eyes and boom, they're, you know, somewhere else. They don't need, but our brains are incredibly linear machines, right? They're designed that way. It's a beautiful design because if, our, if we weren't linear, we'd, we'd go nuts here. I mean, all the, if you look at curling and photography and you look at like, you know, they, they take x-rays, for instance, of your body when they take an MRI, the MRI actually sees the biofield. They cut that out when they go show it to a doctor, hmm. right? But wow. if our, if we saw that all the time, we, we think we'd go nuts, right? And that's what schizophrenics do. That's why schizophrenics, most of the time they have, they're schizophrenic is because their brain is missing a, a filter. So when you start to realize that it's all just is, and it's all collapsed into one, there's no going anywhere. There's no, it, 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 again, it, it's hard to, for me to explain, but it, again, we're, we're creating it in this linear time, but it isn't, it is, it's just all happening, you know, and our brains filter it into this super slow frequency with mass so that we can experience it. Cause if we took away that filter, it would be, you know, I don't that know. Makes sense. That's my scientific term for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've got into this subject, but sometimes my near death experiencers on the other side encounter non-human intelligences, whether they're uh -huh. angels, aliens, yes. you know, whatever kind of energetic beings. What is your yeah. opinion on that? Absolutely, because we're all energetic beings. We're all non-human and we're all human. We're having a hum human experience, right? We're having an experience in this human body. But that's what we called it, right? But we're all of those things. Like I talk to my dad all the time. You know, I, I, I you know, my father's been dead since 2000. You know, I don't look at, again, that's a, that is a this world, then that world, right? Kind of thing. So when, again, when you expand your worldview to realize consciousness is having an experience and I happen to be a part of it and I'm a part of that consciousness and I'm consciousness and you're consciousness, there's no separation between us. There's only separation between you and I is what the one that's created in our brains to create a Jeff and a Betsy, right? That goes back to this toxic individuality, right? When you start to realize there is no, there's, there's only personality because it makes it entertaining here for us to each have our personality and that's what we each have we're a prism that the, i'm going to experience blue light this way and you're going to experience blue light that way and that's why neither one of us ever see the same blue light right never looks the same but really in reality we're, there's no difference i can tap into you and you can tap into me because we're tapping in from a source now i don't know what that source is nobody's figured that out i don't know that we ever will some scientists tell me oh we'll get there it's just a matter of getting the tool to measure it and some scientists say, I don't think we'll, it would, I don't think in the brain capacity that we have, we're able to contemplate up to that level. And that might be by design. Who knows? Hmm. What are your thoughts on reincarnation? And if you believe in it, why do we keep coming back here over and over again? So if you go back to the concept of consciousness is, so reincarnation is a, is a word designed for our linear language of past, present, future, right? So I wouldn't say that I don't believe in current reincarnation. I understand the concept because it needed to be defined for our language and our linear space. What I do understand, have you ever had deja vu? Yep. Have you ever had bleed throughs? Where, like, we call them bleed throughs. Have you ever seen kids who wake up speaking five languages or come in, you know, my daughter would tell me all the time when she was two, my name is Suri and I come from Africa. I had just come from Africa the week before I found out I was pregnant. Right. So it, to me, it's not, there's a great old, old, old books um, by a gentleman named Alvin Schwartz. 
who passed a few years ago. And he wrote a series of books. The first one was called The Unlikely Prophet. And the second one was called A Gathering of Selves. And in The Gathering of Selves, he has to jump. He looks at, think of string theory or stacked reality idea. He had to, he had to learn to jump. He, used to, he was one of the original comic book writers for Batman like in the 40s and 50s it's like he's passed now so he wrote all these stories from a comic book perspective but he to him they all happened for real these are he tells you these are true stories need to learn how to leap into his different lifetimes that were all happening simultaneously to bring back certain archetypal characteristics and to combine them, a gathering of his selves into one being so he could defeat the villain right mm. that was the story but to me, that was the most beautiful example of why do we keep coming back here? Well, we never left here. There's just different versions of us having different experiences that are similar to our sort of frequency, but they're just having different experience, but they're not in the past or the future. They're, they are. It's all now. Right. Like, that's why if you think of, you know, people talk about ancestral healing, you know, or, or, or how is it that you can do something now that affects the past and the future? Again, we're talking about our own, because we have a linear perspective on reality, we have to always put things in these boxes that make sense in our linear language. But I look at it as, oh yeah, you know, I, for all I know, I could be, you know, uh, you know, a slave or a, or a, a queen or I know I love how people that talk about reincarnation were always kings and queens in their last lives. But, um, <laughs> but beyond that, you know, who knows what I'm doing in other lifetimes. Right. All right, Betsy, where can people find out more about you? Like your website, what is it called? Betsychassie.net. And I'm at Betsy Chassie on every social media platform. Perfect. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yes. My favorite quote is by an author named Jack Kerouac. And he says, be in love with your life, every detail of it. And so that's what I invite everybody to do. That's great. Thank you, Betsy, for being my guest. I really Thank appreciate you. you and have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.